Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, sleepful in Seattle. I'm Jake Mintz. That is Jordan Schusterman. And believe it or not, I stayed up for the Mariners' madness. And Mr. Schusterman hit the hay. Jordan, how are we doing? It's true. I'm great. Good morning. Good morning, Jake. Yes, we are going to get into the latest Mariners miracle courtesy of J.P. Crawford. We're going to talk about the Marlins-Mets rain-soaked circus in Queens, which I believe you are at least witness to some percentage of it. Uh, I know you were at the game last night, so we can talk about that. Uh, Yeah. The first nine innings. (laughs) (laughs) 8.1 innings. All right. Well, we'll get to your experience of that game. Of course, we are going to talk about the Baltimore Orioles winning the American League East. That's a thing that happened last night, winning 100 games. Jake is wearing his Orioles American League wildcard hat, which is one of his favorite hats. And a hat that, sorry, what, what year is it again? That's the 1996? Yeah. The 1996 Orioles American League wildcard hat. Uh, come on, man. You know, aim higher. You, you know that that is settling at this point. And then it is Friday, so we will, of course, deliver. The good, the bad, the ugly. And look at the final weekend ahead, Jake. This is it. Just three more days of the regular season. Or is there, question mark, question mark, question mark. More on that in a second. Let's get back to what you began with, Jake, which is that you were awake last night when J.P. Crawford saved the Mariners' season. The Mariners were not technically facing elimination last night. But after the day, the game before, it sure felt like it, especially with the way they had been playing against the Texas Rangers. And it's true, I was not watching. I had basically been watching every pitch of the Mariners for the last few weeks with not a lot of positive results. It has been a long, busy week. I had a lot to do today, and I was like, listen, this is not enjoyable. I just watched the Orioles win the American League East. I was feeling great for you, I was feeling great for the Orioles. I was just loving watching Kevin Brown in the celebration, singing um, Blink-182 with Ryan Mountcastle. Like, I was feeling good. And Leody Tavares hits a homer early, and I'm just like, you know what? Like, I'm going to be watching every pitch this weekend. I don't have a good feeling about this game. I just, I'm just going to go to bed. I'm just going to hang out with my wife and go to sleep. That's what happened. That's, that is 100% what happened. Jordan Schuster, so, big yeah. wife guy. Big wife guy. Like, Small totally. Mariners like, fan. Well, you before could, we continue, before we continue, yeah. I'm sure that there is a type of fan yeah. who is listening to this and saying, well, that's what I was about to say. Jordan yeah. Schusterman, yeah. Mariners fan, in quotes, went to sleep. I know. I what, know. A, what a dummy. I know. Now, I want to push back against that. On this podcast, mm-hmm. we don't reward fandom faith, okay? <laughs> if you want to jump ship from your uh-huh. favorite team at any time, because they are not giving you the requisite joy or meaning, I have zero issue with that. Baseball yeah. is a an, a form of entertainment. And if you are not getting the necessary entertainment, that is fine. Now, yeah. I would say yeah. that there's now pie on your face because it was sure. quite entertaining at the end. Oh, 100%. And so just so you know, like I, again, we, we talk, we talk about mental health on the show. Like I was just not feeling it. I was not in a right. good mood to watch the Seattle Mariners last Fine. night. And so I chose not to, but normally I have done this more recently where it's like, you know what? I don't want to watch. And normally what, when I go to sleep with, with the Mariners game, not knowing what happens, what I do is when I wake up, I ask Bailey, I say, Hey, can you 
basically pull up the highlights. Like I don't want to just open the score and see what happened. Like I want to I want to watch the highlights when I wake up, like and not know what happened. However, in this case, I woke up to so many text messages, <laughs> which you can see some of because I tweeted it, um, of sampling of what happened that. I at least had the positive ending spoiled for me. However, I did manage to not see the game cast. I had Bailey pull up the highlights, so I didn't see on game day, and I watched how it unfolded, which now, Jake, you can help us relive, and I will tell you my takeaways from it. Absolutely. So I think we can more or less fast forward to the bottom of the ninth inning. Yeah. I mean, I you know we got a couple. We got three solo home runs. We get uh, Leody Tavares. We get Adolis Garcia. And Julio uh, smacks a, an opposite field homer off of a, a Jordan Montgomery curveball. But, uh, and then looking back, you know, all kinds of runners stranded, embarrassing offensive efforts. You know, Suarez gets stranded on second after a leadoff double. Like, all kinds of continued terrible Mariners offense. Jose Leclerc continues to look great. But in the bottom of the ninth, here comes Araldis Chapman. Because as horribly shaky as he's been, like, Bruce Bochy, I guess, is still just like, well, I guess he's still the closer. So here we go. It is a Roldis Chapman. I, I like the idea that Bruce Brochu looks at the list of relievers and he just goes, oh, my God, we have a, a Roldis Chapman. Get in there. So Roldis yeah. uh, gets in there, allows a leadoff single to Cal Raleigh, allows a seeing eye single to Dylan Moore, neither of which I will say were on bad pitches, right? They were just no. sometimes when you're facing Roldis Chapman, you, you don't really have to get too much of the baseball because no. it tends to take care of itself. So he allows two singles, first and second, nobody out. T-Mobile Park is feeling it, feeling a buzz. And in that moment, Aroldis Chapman loses his GPS. He turns off. Has he uh, ever had it? Has he ever had it? At moments, he goes on airplane mode is how I would describe it. It is impossible to find him. Uh, the app Find My Zone, he cannot. You don't know where he is. He wild pitches. The runners to second and third. He walks Ty France with none of the pitches being anywhere close to the strike zone. <laughs> After eight pitches, an eight-pitch outing, out comes Bruce Bochy to take Aroldis Chapman out of the game. I texted you legendary eight-pitch performance. It was... Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, this is out. also the fun thing about waking up and kind of reliving this through all the text messages. So, Jake, I'm just going to, I'll just read you the tweets from, or the text from Jake. 11.49. This is probably when they stranded some runners. Mariners, Cubs in the embarrassment NIT tournament. Great. Good joke. True. Right. Thank Cubs, you. another embarrassing. We're, Cubs fans, you're welcome. We're really not going to talk about you much today. <laughs> uh, Chapman guessing, oh boy, iconic eight pitch outing. Five minutes later, oh my God, this is so bad. What, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? What was so bad? In comes Jonathan Hernandez, reliever, and he looks immediately like 2016 year oldest Chapman because he gets Mike Ford to fly out to short center field on a pitch and on his hands. Josh Rojas pops out in foul territory to Josh Young down by the third baseline. And it's like, are the Mariners, these embarrassing Mariners with bases loaded, Nobody out, down a run in the ninth. Really? Are they really going to do it like this? Are they really going to fail to get these runners in? And it was, I was, I almost turned it off at that point. Like, this is such an embarrassment. Okay. The only thing keeping me from turning it off. Yes. Was J.P. Crawford. The fact that the Mariners lineup turned over and Crawford, their leadoff man, and one of their best hitters all season long was the player at the dish in this enormous spot. Yes. And you mentioned, like, are they really going to do this? And the answer is yes. They've been the worst team in baseball this year at scoring the runner from third with less than two outs, let alone bases loaded, no outs, right? But JP has been money all season long. And because Araldis completely imploded to allow the lineup to get back to JP, that is what gave them life. But to your point, I'm watching the highlights back, knowing they're going to win mm. and getting furious. And and also, in a way, feeling validated 
that I was not staying up. And I was like, this is terrible. Like, I know they are going to win, and this is terrible, right? Because, again, this is like, this is what the Mariners' offensive performances have been in these embarrassing losses. But here comes JP to save the day. He uh, smacks one to left field. Could Evan Carter maybe have gotten it with a better route? You know, the expected batting average was only 330, eh, whatever. He hit it hard. He puts it in play. And the Mariners win. Double, walk up double. And first of all, as some Rangers fans have pointed out, Jonathan Hernandez could have been, and I mean, I feel bad for him because he he relatively pitched well, right? But like that could have been an like, iconic performance from Jonathan Hernandez to clinch a postseason spot for Texas. They would have clinched last night. And of course, we, we still expect them to. Uh, but instead, JP is the hero. And JP Crawford, for those who are unfamiliar, has been one of the best shortstops in baseball this year. A man who is known for his glove work in the 2020 season. Now all the defensive metrics hate him, but he still looks pretty good. And most importantly, he is just a legitimately good hitter. This is a guy who always had excellent plate discipline, always gave you a quality at bat. But now, as you saw in that moment, he can actually drive the baseball. Opposite field. Like I know it wasn't a homer, but like, JP, I don't know if he could have hit a ball that hard in that spot off a reliever throwing that well, even last year, right? Like we've seen him, you know, yank some pull side homers, but that was just so impressive. And he has been by far the most reliable offensive player the entire season. Maybe the stats aren't as loud as Julio, but wow, man, he is really, really, really special. And uh, all the the chance of JP um, after the game. And and yeah, but he's he's the guy. And think about too, right? This winter, people were clowning on the Mariners for, you know, being like, JP is our shortstop. And I was like, okay, sure, right? And has this ended up being a convenient cover-up for not spending money? Yeah, sure. That's that's It's not an excuse to not offer more money to these free agents. That's fine, right? At the same time, their belief in Crawford and Crawford's commitment to getting better, which he did this offseason, improving his bat speed and upping his offensive game, is so impressive and, and truly has saved the Mariners' season, not just last night, but time and time again the entire year. Crawford's leap forward into one of the top five, you know, top eight shortstops in the league is very impressive considering where he came from, right? This is a first-round pick, top prospect who stalls out with the Phillies. He is really supposed to be one of the faces of the Phillies rebuild. Yeah. And it goes terribly wrong. And he is dealt to Seattle in the trade for Carlos Santana, right? Like that bizarre. Yeah. Well, it was right. It was uh, with Gene Segura, I guess. Is the really Gene Segura. The, trade, it was with right. Carlos Santana. With so. Carlos Santana for Gene Segura. Mm-hmm. And it takes him time in Seattle. He mm-hmm. is not a productive, he is an average offensive player. For four years. Yes, the glove was great. Yes, he was a you know a positive member of the clubhouse, but he was not an impact offensive player until this season. But there is something about his demeanor that I find very compelling. He is the stereotype of SoCal chill. The way he gives an interview, he looks like he's asleep. And his heartbeat is so slow. And in some ways, that is the perfect... Demeanor for a guy, bases loaded, two outs, right? Bottom of the ninth, that's what you want. But I think that Crawford, I I mean, if you spent four or five years not hitting well, you would then develop an opinion of yourself as a baseball player and an understanding of the type of hitter that you are. And for Crawford not to accept that and to work past what people had come to expect of him to push that boundary, to put himself in a spot to develop enough self-confidence where he could have this moment. I think Scott Service said something like that after the game where he said, I don't think this could have happened. I don't think JP could have done this last year. And that is an incredibly impressive thing. Now, it could all mean nothing. Jordan, it could all mean absolutely zilch because the Mariners could get swept in the last three games. But for JP Crawford to have this moment to announce himself to the larger baseball world was very special and capped it off. By grabbing the microphone in the post-game interview, <laughs> which was, I have to say, I watched it live, very boring post-game interview. He had zero oh. to say. There was zero insight. Yeah. It was as sleepy mm-hmm. a walk-off post-game interview as I've ever seen. Until. And then he grabs the mic 
And he goes, let's fucking go. And he runs off and he autographs the camera like a freaking superstar. <laughs> and it leaves Ryan Roland Smith to apologize for his cursing. It was great. Uh, the other thing, JP, about JP in terms of like becoming his player, like they gave him an extension. He already signed, you know, it wasn't a whatever, 300 million. They gave him a $50 million extension before last season, right? And so... Unfortunately, like we see this in a lot, a lot of sports, there are guys that sign and it's sign and settle, right? And that's that's human nature, I imagine. I know people; it's easy for fans to criticize those players, but I also totally understand that. But Jordan, in this case, our, it's like no, like I'm going to keep getting better. That was our old podcast. I mean, we signed and settled, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but basically, I just feel like, to your point, to give the home crowd, especially one more moment at least after what this past week has been is 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 very nice to see. And JP Crawford's heroics thankfully can help us uh distance a little bit further from the ugliness on Wednesday night and of course the Astros big victory over Seattle in the end of that series. Uh I thought we were going to have to talk at length about the Hector Neris and Julio Rodriguez exchange, although I think at this point we should kind of let that investigation play out. Basically, Hector strikes out Julio in a big spot. He walks towards Julio, which is not normally you see something for pitchers. Normally, you see them talking their shit and walking back towards their dugout. He walks towards Julio after the game. There's clearly some discontent on the Mariners' side about specifically what Neris was yelling at Julio. Uh, Eugenio Suarez says that he heard Neris say a homophobic slur in Spanish which Julio did not confirm or deny, but at least made clear that he was very unhappy with what Neris said to him. And Neris was someone that he had a relationship with previously, and he has said that he is no longer talking to him. Neris put a statement out saying he apologizes. He thought it was just the heat of the moment. He claims he did not say anything of the like uh, involving a slur. This is MLB is investigating the situation. This is I'm not, I don't think a good look for Neris by any means in terms of the action and what was said. Of course, we normally get to come on here and defend emotion, and that's true. If there were slurs involved, obviously we are not going to stand for that. This uh, is an anti-slur podcast. Just yeah, to be, thank you. Just to, I just, if people are listening and they're like, and they were wondering, Jordan, right. pro-slur. Right, not us, not us. Uh, Do you have a favorite slur, Jordan? Uh, if I did, that's wouldn't, you wouldn't hear it on this podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is a kind of a weird, ugly situation. We don't have much to add to it, so we're just going to kind of let it go. But if anything else comes of that, if you know, I'm sure if the Mariners and Astros somehow play in the playoffs or whatever, this will be brought up again. But anyway, we did just wanted to acknowledge it because it felt like that was going to be a main topic today. Uh, but we're going to put it aside for now as JP has brought the good vibes back to T-Mobile Park, and we will see if they can carry that into the weekend. Jake, let's take a quick break, and when we yeah. return, we are going to throw our umbrellas in the trash can and allow the rain to ruin this podcast. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> hey, everyone. Producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this post. Welcome back to Baseball Barbacast, Jake. Before we talk about your beloved Orioles being the American League East champions, we have to talk about a game that you were at. You were not at the, the Orioles uh, clinching the division. You were in Queens watching the Mets and Marlins. Not as, as exciting or high-spirited, but ultimately extremely messy and important. So why don't you tell me about your experience there, and then we'll get to what actually happened. Well, just the – I'm going to talk about bringing my Little League kids to this game for good and bad and ugly. Um, but the experience of watching a game like this is always bizarre because you, the setting 
is City Field, where the Mets have had one of the most embarrassing, underwhelming seasons in baseball history. And as a result, there aren't that many people at the game. It was a cold, rainy night on a Thursday, and it wasn't packed. And so the atmosphere in the ballpark does not carry an air of importance. On the other hand, the Marlins dugout very much has a vibe of desperation as they entered the night tied with the Chicago Cubs for the last wildcard spot. They held the tiebreaker. Every game right now for the Marlins is a must win. And for the Mets, it's a, yeah, well, 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 maybe we'll win. <laughs> you could argue, as we've talked about on the show, they kind of need every loss they can get as they are right in the thick of the lottery standings right now, trying to get into the top five. But in general, you're right. Obviously, the people at City Field don't care about that. The Mets players are essentially trying to win, but don't actually care that much. Incredibly boring game to bring a bunch of little leaguers with short attention spans to. Nail, nil deep into the night. Mets score on an RBI single late on, and then the Marlins put up, miraculously, two runs in the top of the ninth on a Jazz Chisholm double and a Yuli Gurriel single to take a 2-1 to lead. And then the skies open up. It starts pouring in New York. They probably could have played on longer than they did um, through the rain to try and finish the game. It is halted with two outs in the top of the ninth, and the Marlins up. One run, runners on first and second, and then two and a half hour rain delay. And this is where it gets weird, okay? Because the Marlins need to finish this game, but they can't just bang it where it is because the Mets haven't hit in the bottom of the ninth. They have not had a chance to rebut the Marlins two spot, okay? And so they're waiting it out, seeing if there's a window to finish the game, seeing if there's a window, two hours pass, there's a brief window And in that brief window, at around like 11.45, right when the Mariners game was getting really good, maybe a little bit later, they miss the window. And they don't get the tarp off in time, and they don't scramble. The ground screw doesn't scramble quickly enough, and it starts raining again. And this is when Marlins manager Skip Schumacher kind of lets it eat on the Mets grounds crew, passive-aggressively helping them pull the tarp, and then... He starts kind of jawing at the head guy and it get the umpire has to kind of like separate them. We've never seen someone get ejected during a rain delay for arguing with the grounds crew. That did not happen, but that would have been very funny. And it's important to note the context here is that on, uh, I guess it would have been Tuesday night, there was no game because the Mets grounds crew did not tarp the field over the weekend. And so the playing surface was too wet. For the Marlins to play, and so they had to play a doubleheader on Wednesday, which screwed up their pitching rotation. And so Skip was already very ticked off about how the Mets have handled the situation, and that understandably boiled over into last night. Can the Mets control the weather? No. You know, who controls the weather? Me and Jordan and the rest of the Jewish people. We control. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, there's nothing that the Mets could have really done too differently here. But that's true. The, the overall vibe lacked an air of professionalism. Yes. And I think that is what Skip Schumacher was yes. particularly mad about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there when all the stuff went down on Tuesday and it had the same kind of like willy nilly. Oh, maybe we'll get the field ready, you know, kind of energy. And I think that boiled over. So that's what happened. Let's talk about where it leaves things. Well, what can I before forward. before we do that, I want to talk about. The moment when a tarp comes out, the emotional response, I mean, tarps come out all the time during a baseball season, but when it's late in the season and, and especially with the context of the week that it already had and knowing the Marlins and knowing that it's late in the game and knowing that it's going to rain all night, there is something so unique about, and I've seen this happens in college baseball too, like in a spot like that and you see the tarp come out and you just have this sinking feeling of just like, oh my God, we are in for a mess. Like, it's not just like, oh no, like the game is delayed. It's like all of the ramifications of the tarp not coming off just like start rushing through your head and you're just like, oh no. And so when I I was still uh, awake at this point and I saw the tarp coming out, I was like, 
no. Oh, no. <laughs> this is the last thing. that we- Now, it was pouring. I mean, I could tell. And I'm curious, when did you actually leave? Because you were there for Jazz hitting the double, right? I was on my way out when Chaz doubled. So okay, okay, got it. I was driving a couple Little League kids home, and, you know, it was sure, late. Sure. They sure. don't care about the NL wildcard race because they're 10 uh, and not Marlins fans. And so right. I had to ski out a lot of there. As I'm leaving, Chaz doubles, Yuli singles, and then it starts pouring, and right. it's like, this is going to be a mess. Right. We'll no, no, it makes sense. out of here. Absolutely. Now, I, and, and the one other thing I wanted to say before we get to where this leaves us, which is I still am not totally sure about that, you mentioned the – Arab professionalism and how they had at least screwed something up earlier this week. And that was essentially verified by owner Steve Cohen, who tweeted two days ago, our sincere apologies to the Marlins and their fans for having to postpone last night's game. We know how important the series is to the Marlins and every effort was made to get the field playable. And so every effort was made on Tuesday to get the field playable, (laughs) but not before that. And so owners do not apologize to other uh, people let alone organizations, unless you mess something up. Unless you know you mess something up. And so I don't know if he's going to have to tweet another thing tonight. I agree last night was different than earlier in the week, whatever. It was was a tough situation. Like, it it rains, it happens. But anyway, where does that leave us? The Marlins are winning a baseball game as we talk right now, okay? At 9.45 in the morning. At 9.45 in the morning. The Marlins are also... Now in Pittsburgh, (laughs) okay? The Marlins are in Pittsburgh where they will play three games to finish the season against the They are winning a baseball game in New York while they're sleeping in Pittsburgh. While they are sleeping in Pittsburgh. They, because the Cubs lost, they are, and they already had the tiebreaker anyway, they are technically a half game up on the Cubs. But they're effectively a game and a half up on the Cubs. Assuming they are winning this game, right? right. <laughs> so the point is, is they have to go play Pittsburgh. The The margin is very thin. And depending on how this all shakes out, which includes also not just the Marlins and Cubs, but the Reds and Padres, perhaps. And Diamondbacks. If, and Diamondbacks. Where the results of these games will ultimately determine whether on Monday, the Mets and Marlins need to return to City Field and finish this baseball game. And because it's so close, it feels like very likely that that is what is going to have to happen. That is my understanding of this. Now, will the Marlins do that if they need to in order to go again, then play the next day in Milwaukee or something? Like, I don't know exactly how it's going to... Trying to figure out... The tiebreakers were already very complicated in the National League. It was so funny. Yesterday, we have, I mean, like the MLB on Fox account is tweeting out like, here's the 17 different ways this weekend can go. And it's like, guess what that didn't account for? The game stopping in the top of the ninth with the Marlins being up by one and having to resume it on Monday. So this weekend is going to be a mess. It it also has maybe changed our podcast schedule. (laughs) I mean, that is a thing we are going to have to consider. We are going to, to figure that out. So all we know is that this just got even messier. And here's another hilarious aspect. Oh, my God. There's so many funny parts of this. I have two other additional things. There's like a scenario where the Padres or the yeah. Reds this or the is Cubs, the one. Yeah. right, get in with a Marlins loss, right, on Monday afternoon. And so or, what we could yeah. – Wait. Or so what we could see – So let's say like the Mets come back and walk it off and win in the bottom of the ninth to beat the Marlins on Monday, Okay. If there are going to be teams like huddled around who get in as a result of that, that would be outrageous. Or the opposite. Or the opposite. The Padres could, in theory, make it all the way, win out, sweep the White Sox this weekend. Everyone else is losing, and they need the Marlins to lose, but they don't. (laughs) And they have to wait until Monday to get eliminated uh, but that's or, the thing. There's versions of this all all over the place. The Marlins do hang on and get in as the wild card team, okay? And then are they going to do a champagne celebration in City Field on Monday at like one thirty eight when they have <laughs> to play Game One against Corbin Burns the next day? Probably Amazing. not. <laughs> like I just, I think my favorite thing about this is that it's the Marlins. Like, it had to be the Marlins. If this was happening to the Diamondbacks or even the Reds, you know, whatever. 
This is the exact level of chaos that this franchise has earned, deserves, and if the, if this is how they're going to get, and I don't blame Skip Schumacher for for I mean how they're going to get through this weekend. It's possible that none of this becomes relevant. Although it's so close, it's hard to imagine it not becoming relevant. So again, they go to Pittsburgh. The Cubs are going to Milwaukee. The Brewers have nothing to play for, but I'm sure they will enjoy ruining the Cubs season if they can. Reds going to St. Louis, San Diego going to Chicago, Arizona going home to play Houston. So all of these things are just, and by the way, that's the other thing, just bigger picture. The fact that the Diamondbacks Astros series is impacting the Mariners, like the fact that we have an interleague series on this last weekend that is impacting both leagues is both very confusing and very fun. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Uh, I have to go to this resumed game on Monday, right? Like, I have to see I whatever think so. this is. Yeah, I think you do. Like, again, Who's I don't gonna know. Who's going to be at this? Who is going to show up on Monday? <laughs> I think if you're a Marlins fan, like, how many Marlins fans? We're actually going on a Marlins podcast today, so we should ask. Are Marlins fans, like, booking trip? Marlins fans with money and nothing to do, booking a trip to New York to watch the Marlins maybe clinch a playoff spot on Monday. For one <laughs> inning. Like, are there more? Like, here, here's the best way to put it. Will there be more Marlins fans there on Monday than Mets fans? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, um, again, and also, the, the Mets funny need like, every the, loss. The Mets need the loss. And the Mets having to continue to play after their season's over. Like, Pete Alonso. It, like, are these, these guys don't want to play one more game. Like, Pete, I was there yesterday. Like, they were, like, packing up their lockers. Like, they're yeah, ready to they're go done. home. They don't, yeah. Here's the other thing. Also, the Mets are going to Philly. So, they're no, not. Philly's coming here. Oh, sorry, Philly's sorry, sorry. Coming. Mets are staying home. I apologize. Take that back. Here's it's the other also, thing. By the way, time. it's it's not, the rain's not going to stop all weekend. And so, <laughs> like, I don't, it's absolutely pouring right now here in New York. But here's and the so thing. I don't know. I, the, I'm not even going to go to see. You know how much I love my fills. Like yeah. I'm not even going to go today. To no, see I know, the, but I, I'm saying those games don't matter. All three of those games can get rained out, and that that no, but really those matter. games do matter because like they might have to play two on Sunday. Like that, but they can decide. No, but if the game if those games mean nothing to both of those teams, they can just MLB them, can yeah. basically say fuck it. That's the problem. But I'm thinking about it more from the Marlins side. Okay, they need to close out this game on Sunday or on Monday, right? Hypothetically. Is Tanner Scott, like, is, say Tanner Scott has to close out Saturday and Sunday, and he was warming up, right? Like, he's, anyway, so many elements to this. It's overwhelming. It's very funny. I, I hate it and love it at the same time. We will see what happens. Let's leave it there. Jake, it is very yes. confusing and very complicated. And I guess before we move on to the Baltimore Orioles, we should just literally say the standings because sure. it is... It is moving at all times. Nothing is settled even one bit. The Diamondbacks' loss yesterday to the White Sox was remarkable. Tuki Toussaint, who has Mm. been very much a journeyman over the last couple years and not the best pitcher in the world, was originally drafted by the Diamondbacks, okay, and traded to the Braves for more or less salary relief, okay? Salary relief. With Bronson Arroyo. With Bronson Arroyo. We dumped Bronson Arroyo's contract. Yeah. And we gave you Tuki Toussaint. Tuki Toussaint revenge game like a decade later or whatever for the White Sox against the Diamondbacks, shutting them down on an irrelevant Thursday afternoon game that wasn't even supposed to happen on Thursday because of bad weather in New York. Beats the Diamondbacks and even further muddies the NL wildcard situation. Here's where we are right now. Phillies done. That's booked. They got the top spot. They're playing. They're the four seed. I'll be there. Can't wait. Should be a good time. Diamondbacks. One and a half up on the Marlins. Okay. Remember, the Marlins are complicating playing. this. Be- playing a baseball game right now. Still playing a baseball game right now. Okay. One and a half up on the Marlins. Cubs half back of the Marlins. Reds one and a half back of the Marlins. Padres three and a half back of the Marlins for that last spot. If the Marlins win that game, if the Marlins had won last night, the Padres would be done. They'd be eliminated. They'd be over. Okay, but they're technically still in the mix just because of that. The Reds at one and a half back, they really need the Marlins. They needed the Marlins to lose that game. They were really not looking good. And the Cubs, who just got swept by the Braves, who were napping through the series, 
in an all-time horrible, embarrassing, downtrodden, just bummer of a showing. Defense, more defensive disasters yesterday. Like obviously the Braves are the best team in baseball, but still it was it was not a good look for Chicago. And now they go to Milwaukee and that'll be interesting. I think the Cubs and Blue Jays are in slightly similar situations this weekend as the Blue Jays are playing the Rays who aren't really playing for anything now, but would still probably enjoy fucking up the Blue Jays day. Same yeah. thing with the Brewers and the Cubs. So it's all very messy and it will change. Make the standings on the MLB.com uh, website your homepage. That'll be, that'll be the easiest way to go. Jordan, let's quickly talk about the Baltimore Orioles. Let's do it. Uh, they won the division. They did it. Uh, you have been joking throughout this rebuild Orioles 2024 World Series champions. That has been the refrain that you have repeated over and over. And that still could be true. But to watch this celebration, we saw them, we talked about their clinch uh, recently, but to hang on to win this division, it's not like the Rays have been playing poorly since their series where the Rays took, you know, where, where they split them. Like, it's not like, you know, that's, it's not like they've been playing poorly, but, but, but the Orioles have done it. They've won 100 games. I, in uh, the same day that they announced that they will be staying in Canada Yards for 30 years, at least 30 more years, very exciting. And it was really, I mean, there is something, and they repeated over and over, you know, hardest division to win in sports, blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> I guess maybe that was slightly less true this year when you consider how much of a disaster the Yankees and Red Sox were. But still, man, this is just an unbelievable achievement. And I'm glad you tweeted about Brandon Hyde because I do think so much about him. I think about the conversation we had with him in the dugout when we first met him in 2019, I believe. I think. Is that accurate? I believe it was before COVID. Uh, we were down there before the game and we met Brandon Hyde. And I remember him joking. like He like vaguely knew, knew who, we, who we were. And I remember him saying something along the lines of like, you know, take it easy on us. Yes. Like, I remember that very well. I remember him being like, hey, take it easy on us. And Brandon Hyde at that point knew like, <laughs> and he knew Jake was an Orioles fan, but he knew like, yeah, we're the worst team. We are we are a, an abominable, you know, baseball team, right? And would be for multiple more seasons, right? And I just remember that and just being like, man, like this guy, he knew what he signed up for, but wow, like this is, this is a tough, this is a tough assignment. And even if he always knew that he was going to you know, maybe be there to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the way that even we at times wondered, is he actually going to get to see this, the fruits of this rebuild, um, was was so cool. And not to mention, of course, the players like Cedric Mullins and and Hayes who played on some of these terrible teams. But the manager is is really one that in some ways has to eat it even more and has to watch it and has to, has to literally manage it, has to literally do his job with a terrible team 162 times, multiple times. Like, that is really unique. Brandon Hyde managing bad Orioles teams was like an episode of Chopped where the ingredients are purposefully outrageous. We need you to cook a gourmet meal or at least pretend to with rotten artichoke hearts and rainbow sprinkles and ketchup and duck brain mm -hmm. that was brand and trey mancini that was brandon hyde's task and he had to pretend like it was a real job right where what he was really doing when the orioles were bad was babysitting everybody and incrementally trying to make people better while making sure that no one got bummed out enough with all the losses that the culture flew off the rails and he succeeded john becker tweeted that Brandon Hyde was the first manager since Connie Mack to oversee an 100-loss team and then an 100-win team. That is wild, right, with the same franchise. That is a wild accomplishment. Very few people get to make it through a rebuild. And for Hyde to be there crying, like he was crying when they won, right? That was very cool. And that's the guy that I've, you know, thought a lot about as someone who cares about the Orioles. All the players are you know, the outfield who was there when they were, were horrible too, like Santander, Mullins, and Hayes, that's great. But it's Hyde. Because, um, like, remember, when they're bad and he's pushing through them being bad, 
he doesn't know if he's going to survive it. He doesn't know if like the second they start to look good, the front office is going to be like, hey, we're going to go get a different, more experienced manager. We're going to go get Dusty Baker or whatever. He doesn't know. And so he's putting his blind faith in the process. We've seen so many managers come in, manage a bad team. The second the team gets good, they get axed. And he was able to make it through. And so I'm very happy for him. I have a million thoughts on the Orioles, yeah. but I'm going to be done now. Just That's because. fine. Just one more thing on the Connie Mack fun fact. So the Orioles lost 100 games two years ago, right? Um, Connie Mack, he wins. If you're unfamiliar, if you've never looked at the Connie Mack managerial record uh, baseball reference page, I cannot recommend it enough. It is one of the more, uh, it's up there with, with, it's an underrated baseball reference page. But anyway, he wins 100 games and World Series, back-to-back World Series in 1911. Okay, he wins 101 games in the 1911 World Series. He loses 109 games in 1915, 117 games in 1916, 100 games three years in a row from 1919 to 1921. So do you know how long it was between losing 100 games in 1921 and when he won 100 games again? No. Eight years. Okay, 1929. He was uh, when he wins 100 games and wins the World Series again. And they had, you know, a 98 win before that. But uh, this is not supposed to. Now, that was a very different time for a lot of reasons. But this is not supposed to take this happen this quickly. Um, and even Mike Elias in his celebration after kind of explain, you know, exclaimed some some disbelief <laughs> as confident and as he is in his own process. And that is what is very special. So congratulations to you. Of course, we will now very excited to be talking about the Orioles much more in the coming uh, months. Uh, But we'll table it there and move to the end of this podcast, which is, of course, the good, the bad, the ugly, Jake. Uh, I'll start us off with some good. Something good, something bad, something ugla from the past week. Ugla can be anything. That's what Dan Ugla was. He was anything you wanted him to be. My good this week is Harry Ford. Harry Ford, Mariners prospect, who just completed a strong season in high A. Great, normal stuff. Catcher, okay, first round pick a couple years ago. Harry Ford, wow, you, you're a minor league catcher. You're probably exhausted, right? Oh, man, I can't wait to go home and nap. That would be awesome. You earned it. Harry Ford's like, oh, actually, no. I'm going to go fly to the Czech Republic and bat leadoff and catch for the Great Britain national team to help Great Britain try and win a European baseball championship, which has nothing to do with WBC. This is not like to qualify for the next WBC or anything. Like This is just wanting to win a European baseball championship. Harry Ford decided, hell yeah, I'm going to go do that. And to make it even crazier, as soon as he's done with this, he's heading to Arizona to play in the fall league. I don't know how this guy's legs are holding up at all, but he's one of my favorite, of course, Mariners prospects. But when you see that kind of commitment, uh, to his to his national team. Uh, that just makes me so happy. Harry Ford, you are awesome. What is your good, Jake? I brought my Little Leaguers to the Mets game yesterday. That is good. Mets aren't good. Little Leaguers at the Mets game, good. Mets, grounds crew, maybe not the best. <laughs> Mets letting me bring 20 people <laughs> to the game yesterday, good. Uh, you know, I figured... A lot of the kids that I coach, like some of them haven't been to too many baseball games. Some of them I don't think have been to any. And the opportunity to go see the Mets on a rainy Thursday against the Marlins late in the season felt like a good time to ask for a favor. So uh, we we actually had BP passes secured, but then it rained. I don't know if you saw it. It was raining. <laughs> it was raining so they in didn't New York? take BP. Huh. So we didn't get to go on the field. However, they did let the kids into the interview room during Buck Showalter's press conference. So Buck is doing like his, yeah, you know, Jeff McNeil's got a blah, blah, blah. Yeah, really love the way Kodai Senga's like progressed this year, you know. And the kids are just in the back, like bouncing off the walls, just trying to focus. I'm like, like, I don't care about David Peterson. Guys, we need to know this injury update, please. Uh, And then the minor league Mets were also being honored. And so it was a hilarious juxtaposition. Someone responded to my tweet and was like, the next two generations of big league stars are in the same room. Doing the Mets minor leaguers and my little leaguer. Um, and then after Buck came over and was very nice and like said hi to the kids, signed some autographs for them. Um, and like I went over to Buck, I said, you know, I Buck knows my face. He probably doesn't know my name because I'm not there that much. And I was like, hey man, like just want to let you know, like, this is the team I coach. Like, these are my kids. And he goes, Really? I was like, Yeah, you know, coach him for four years, whatever. And 
Buck goes, is he a good coach? And most of the kids are like, yeah. And one of the kids goes, nope, not at all. I'm like, what the heck? Like, when we meet a big league manager, we got to be gassing Coach Jacob. Yeah. But but it sounds like you had majority approval. Yeah, majority approval. But it was a good night, man. Bring kids to baseball games. It's really funny, like, the things that they – that keep their attention span. Totally. And the things that don't. Like, specifically on the field, right? Mm-hmm. Double plays. Kids love double plays because they're very rare in Little League. I was going to say, if you see a Little League, it's like, there's no way. He fielded it and threw it to that guy who threw it to that guy in time for two outs? Yes. The Mets almost, I think there was a moment where they almost turned one and the kids went nuts. It was awesome. But yeah, like it was just such a bad bounce, right? I tried, they had a great time. It was a great experience. It was like, all right, let's bring the kids to a game. They're going to go on the field, meet all these players, see an exciting game. And it was like rain, no BP, zero, zero through eight. Right. I was going to say, like one <laughs> or the other. If you at least got to see like Pete Alonzo, like take BP. No. And then it was zero, zero. Fine. No. But both. That's. I, I want to be clear. Anybody with the Mets listening. I am not complaining. They had an amazing <laughs> no, time. They're very Obviously happy. a great experience. And I'm sure the, the kids also had a great time. That is good. It was exhausting for me because it was like all the parents, like we get there and shouts out to the parents. They were like, I'm turning off my parent button. Like they're like, (laughs) this is on Jake for the next three hours. Have fun, Jake. Uh, My bad this week is Angel Hernandez. Wow. What a shock. I spend a lot of time, as absurd as this is, defending umpires. And this is a crazy way to start this. Because honestly, I just think umpiring is really hard. I think that most of them are very good at what they do. I think that complaining about balls and strikes in the fifth inning of a three-run game and posting the game day screenshot is one of the worst parts of the baseball internet. I find it so uninteresting. I think it is loser behavior 99% of the time. And I wish that we could channel 100% of our umpire disgust towards the very few that are actually terrible. Because the ones who are actually terrible, like Angel Hernandez, are indeed a problem for the game. Now, I, you've made the point, as we talked about Phil Cussey recently, that we just want to be entertained. And in some ways, Angel Hernandez calling Bryce Harper out on a check swing that was obviously not a check swing and then ejecting him, I agree with you in that sense. It was very entertaining, Bryce Harper throwing his, dug- his helmet to the crowd. That is all true. However, like, I don't want him umpiring important games. I really don't. Like, that that does actually bother me when the umps who have been doing it for long enough and who are not good anymore, like him, like C.B. Buckner, like some of the other ones, like, that does actually bother me. 98% of the time, I think people complaining about umps is not interesting and boring. But the ones that are actually this bad and are constantly and and giving us the ump show that we often so refer to, that does irk me. And I think it is. I- a good was Hernandez telling Bryce to go look at the video and Bryce <laughs> looking at the video and being like, I looked at it. You're still wrong. And Bryce Harper coming out and Bryce knows ball afterwards being like, yeah, like it's the same thing. Like he's the every time he's angels terrible. Every broadcast will tell you angels terrible. like it's it is universal. And now that this is new, I'm not breaking news here, but I just think that like there are that is what bad umpiring is not that specific moment, but like. That is bad. Most of the time, we don't have to complain this much. So that's where I'm at. Angel Hernandez, very bad. Bryce Harper, his reaction, very good. What is your bad this week, Jake? Kurt Schilling. Hmm. Yep, pretty much. So there are a lot of bad parts about Kurt Schilling. I'm not going to get into the specifics of them here because we don't have enough time on a podcast to do that. Okay. Kurt Schilling, bad person. Been a bad person. Been saying evil, deplorable things about various groups of people for some time now. One of those groups is the Jews, uh, a team for which Jordan and I both play, and therefore Kurt Schilling, you know, not not our favorite. But Mr. Kurt has taken it to another level. Mr. Kurt Schilling on his podcast. Let's say it like this. Kurt Schilling hosts the only baseball podcast in the world that revealed without permission a former teammate's cancer diagnosis. Tim Wakefield, unfortunately, is undergoing treatment, I believe, uh, uh, for brain cancer. And so, like, that's bad. 
And our thoughts are with Tim Wakefield, who is one of the most beloved Red Sox of all time, a true cult hero there, and by all accounts, like a good dude. Schilling goes on his podcast and is like, yeah, Tim Wakefield's got brain cancer and I'm praying for him. It is very clear that the Wakefields wanted to handle this privately, which is their right, right? If you're going through any health situations, like you can hand, there are a bunch of different ways to handle it. And it's all about how the person who's going through it chooses to do it. And for Schilling to go out there and like publicly spread this, this is not a political issue. This is not like a partisan take, right? This is telling the world against the person's wishes that someone else has brain cancer. And, and, and clearly the Wakefields didn't want this out because then the Red Sox had to issue a statement about it and saying like it was against his wishes. Just bad, man. There's no way to justify this. There's literally like, there's no way to argue for Kurt Schilling's side on this one. And in that way, I am somewhat thankful. When horrible people do deplorable things that cannot be justified, it's like, okay, good. More people in the world now know that this is a bad person. I'm not saying that like, I'm not, I'll be clear. I'm not sitting here and going woohoo for Kurt Schilling. Glad this, this happened. Yeah. This is uh, not my good. This is my bad. No, definitely. Uh, just to wrap this up here, tweet from Jeff Perlman, uh, author who <laughs> has been around baseball players before. Uh, I covered some true assholes in my career. John Rocker, Will Clark, Barry Bonds, Albert Bell, guys who were mean for sport. But Kurt Schilling was truly the most hated among his fellow ballplayers. Truly never met someone who liked him. And the best part about this tweet is that he tagged him. That's lit. So, I mean, I'm sure Kurt Schilling has everybody blocked, so he probably won't see it. But good stuff. Anyway, Kurt Schilling, bad forever. My ugly this week, Jake, is involving Trey Turner. Do you know what Trey Turner has accomplished this season? I wrote about a little bit this at Fox uh, this week, and I have just been surprised that nobody has mentioned it at all. Trey Turner, of course, when he got hot, this you know gets the ovation, and what does he start doing? He's hitting about a bunch of home runs, right? So people have been paying attention to Trey Turner's offensive resurgence. But what did we know about Trey Turner before? He's, he's the fast guy, right? He's one of the fastest players in the league. Oh, I do know about this. Trey Turner stole his 30th base last night, and Trey Turner is undefeated on the base paths. 30 for 30. There's an idea for a documentary. Trey Turner currently has a major league record for most steals in a single season without being caught. Currently ahead of the previous record holder, Chase Utley, question mark, question mark, question mark, who was 23 for 23 in 2009. So that's kind of cool. But if you stretch it back to last season, Trey Turner has now also stolen 35 consecutive bases without being caught. If you include his one in the postseason, that's 36. And this is something that has not been done very often. This has been done about 10 times in Major League Baseball history. Do you know what the record is for most consecutive steals without being caught is? Please enlighten me. Uh, Vince Coleman. Duh. Of course it's Vince Coleman. Do you have a guess what the number is? 43. 50. So Vince Coleman, 50, uh, which stretched from 1988 to 1989. Ichiro second um, with 45, uh, 2006 to 2007. Tim Raines is on here. Jimmy Rollins is on here a couple times. Now, again, we'll see if it extends in the postseason, if he gets caught this weekend, whatever. But like, this is the story. It's not just all this that there's more steals. It's that stealing is easier than ever, especially when you're as fast as Trey Turner. So we'll keep an eye on this record. It might, you know, extend into next season. But uh, Trey Turner stealing bases is uh, pretty freaking cool. So there you go. That's my ugla. What you got? My ugla is a bizarre tweet or at least a weird uh, situation. This came across my timeline. Someone named Sarah Elise, who I believe is a Cincinnati-based uh, media personality radio host on WEBN, which seems like something Jordan has heard of. This is a tweet from her. Okay, I'm just going to read it word for word. This is September 28th, so this is yesterday morning. A Phillies fan was turned away last night after trying to bring his service gator, gator into the stadium. We are talking to the fan at 8.05 this morning. It turns out his pet gator, Wally, is a TikTok star. And Wally helps this person who battles with depression. Okay? The res the replies are like, Aww. Why didn't they let, let them in with the gator? Listen. Okay? And this is, this is obviously an ugly. 
I'm sorry that you're battling depression. Okay. I am. I take my meds every morning. And I'm glad that you have found an outlet that helps you. And that for whatever reason is an alligator is odd, but nice. However, if you thought you were going to stroll in to a baseball game with a fucking alligator and say, I have depression. Can I bring my alligator with me to the game? I don't know what to tell you. That is not reasonable. That is not (laughs) acceptable. You cannot show up to a baseball stadium with an alligator and expect to get in. So I saw some, some clips of this of Wally, and I don't know, I forget what the guy's name is the term emotional support alligators going around. I agree with you because I am glad that he is able to have this. It seems to work for him. However, my guy, there's no chomp in the park, right? Chomp in the park is the bark in the park, right? We can't be bringing in the gators. Like that's, and honestly, knowing that if this guy is a TikTok star, I, sorry, this is the cynical view. This is an easy way to get a lot of attention. Oh man. Like I don't, I I have a hard time believing that he was like, yeah, they'll let me bring the gator in maybe, but (laughs) getting turned away and then having a bunch of stories written about you. Like now people are following you on TikTok. That's uh, nicely done. Uh, but yeah, cause like (laughs) you can't bring an alligator to a baseball stadium. You've already, here's the thing. The I guess that's the point, right? The fact that you have succeeded in having an emotional support alligator, you've already won. We that's don't have great. to push it any farther. Like as long as you can keep that thing and it makes you feel good and that's it's not going to bite your hand off, you're winning every day that you can coexist with this alligator for sure. If you really want to bring Wally to a ball game, there are tons of minor league stadiums who might <laughs> let you bring the support say, alligator in. I was going to say, there are probably baseball games you can't attend with Wally. Major league, I don't think so. I don't a think so. Phillies game in <laughs> September in 2023 when they're you know, packing the place and they have like 30,000 people there. Yeah. Here's where you can go. Monday, City Field. Uh, There will not be anybody there. You can have a whole section to yourself with your emotional support alligator. Yeah. Hi, this is my emotional support gorilla. I'm here for uh, the presidential inauguration. Can I bring them in? This is not this is not it. Right. This is Again. not it. Uh, wow. Okay. That was a wonderful, that was a wonderful good bad ugly. Jake, I, I love it. Wait, just quickly. <laughs> yeah, here on Baseball Barbercast, we're really open about our mental health, except for when it comes to your alligator. Again, I'm In not saying case, you can't have it. Right. I, I'm glad he has it. I. It's not about, like, if you have something that is going to make you feel better, that is awesome. But that doesn't mean you can bring the alligator to the Phillies game. All right, Jake, let's end this podcast. Thank you for recording this with me. Thank you, Chris Tyler, for producing. Let's look ahead to this weekend quickly, Jake, the final weekend of the regular season. Mm. We will be recording a podcast most likely on Sunday evening. However, the Mets-Marlins situation might change those plans slightly. Either way, you can expect to hear several podcasts from us next week. But what are the series you will be watching closest this weekend? The not important series that Mm. I'm watching, I'm going to keep an eye on uh, the farewells from Miguel Cabrera. Yep. There'll probably be some sort of farewell situation for Adam Wainwright, I believe. They're at home to finish the year. Yeah. Oh, well, he has, doesn't he have his concert on Sunday? He has his concert on mm-hmm. Saturday, uh, tomorrow. Adam Saturday. Wainwright will okay. be singing, right. which is hilarious. Nice. Uh, potentially the end for Zach Greinke in Kansas okay. City, something to keep an eye on with the yeah. Yankees coming into town. Certainly not a series that I'll be watching. Yeah. However, when it comes to relevant baseball, when it comes to relevant baseball, you can get no better than the two following series. Mariners, Rangers, which started last night, and Astros, Diamondbacks. Those are the two that really have two teams each that are you know playing for something meaningful. Yep. The Padres are trying to stay alive in San Diego. The Blue Jays are hosting the Rays. 
mm-hmm. uh, for position in the NL wild card, and the Marlins are going to Pittsburgh. Those are the ones that I'm really watching. Yeah, Padres in Chicago, just to be clear. I'm thinking about the Reds being eliminated and then Adam Wainwright like essentially playing them off. <laughs> on saturday that's a tough way uh to go out but yeah un- it, it, honestly i'm kind of glad that we can really lock in on these couple ones here it's not like there's nine games that we like desperately need to be watching so yeah. we will see the mariners are alive uh and the orioles are al east champs what a time to be living in 2023 thank you all for listening thank you chris again for producing everyone have a wonderful weekend shabbat shalom and we will talk to you on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or all three. Talk to you soon. Goodbye. Don't bring your alligator to the baseball game. Serious XM Podcasts.